It's your friendly neighbourhood cinema podcast. It's The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. I didn't think I was going to have to save the world this summer. Spider-Man has left New York in Spider-Man Far From Home. What are you dreaming about? And romance that changes everything in After. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now, a uh, little warning here. There's no way to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home without potentially spoiling Endgame. That's your official spoiler warning right there. But your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass coming up just a little later on. But first. Everywhere I go, I see his face. I just really miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. You going to be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. Spider-Man has had a rocky time on the big screen. Three different actors have donned the red and blue tights to varying degrees of success. But Tom Holland seems to be a fan favorite. And Spider-Man Far From Home will see him play the friendly neighborhood wall crawler for the fifth time. But after so many Spider-Man movies over the last 17 years, why does Spider-Man still appeal to so many people? Look, I have never seen the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, so I can't compare them I haven't them either. All. I haven't seen them either. You can go on living your life without never <laughs> seeing them. I thought so. <laughs> and I actually particularly like the original ones. I like um, them too. Oh, good. Toby Maguire. It, un- <laughs> it seems to be unpopular. I know, we're um, unpopular. Well, it's, <laughs> I, I, I look at it like this, because I did love them when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but um, if you ever go back to them... Don't go back. Uh, they are a lot cheesier than I remember yeah. them being, but that is kind of almost their charm as well. Yes. But they, they hold up less than I remembered them holding up, um, specifically yeah. the first and the third. The second one's still quite good. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the appeal of this one with Tom Holland is that the actor is so young and Spider-Man is supposed to be like the child of the Avengers. He's the baby of the group. So, and this is the first time that they've crossed worlds as well. Like the original Spider-Mans didn't have anything else to cross over with. So they were standalone films and they worked like that. But the appeal that seems to be today with superhero movies and sequels and things is that there is a lot more depth to the world. So as Cambo said, there is no way to talk about this Spider-Man without having seen the Avengers Endgame because this Spider-Man is set right at the end of those events. We have a world without Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and Spider-Man is trying to deal with that. And his alter ego, Peter Parker, is going on a school trip to Europe. And a new character enters and asks for Spider-Man's help dealing with these elemental villains. So there's this crossover between, you know, Peter Parker trying to be on this school trip and he's trying to tell MJ that he likes her and dealing with these huge supernatural villains from a different dimension. And this is what I'm really excited about because I would say um, behind only Batman... The best villains rogue gallery belongs to Spider-Man. He has really interesting, cool villains. And you have only really ever like the, seen the tip of the iceberg in the movies. Uh, and mm. Mysterio, who Jake Gyllenhaal is playing, um, 
is a really great one. Um, in fact, I don't even want to explain too much his power set because I think discovering it in the movie is the way to go. But he's been a, a villain that fans have wanted in the movies for so long and so long. And ultimately, before Spider-Man 4 was scrapped, they finally said, all right, we're going to do Mysterio in this film. And then that never happened. So this villain has been a long time coming. What Marvel are really good at is casting. And the casting of Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, I think, is really interesting because for the longest time, he was going to be Spider-Man. Mm. Um, and in fact, back when Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire ones are coming up, Tobey Maguire hurt his back quite badly and they thought he wasn't going to be able to come back. And they had actually all but signed Jake Gyllenhaal wow. to be Spider-Man until, you know, Tobey Maguire's like, oh, I don't think so. For a very long time, I actually <laughs> confused the two because well, they are very similar, similar looking. Yeah, so yeah. I can and see that being... So I love the idea that if, it's always been like a fan what if. Like, what if Jake Gyllenhaal mm. did become Spider-Man? And now, finally, when they're doing one of his like iconic villains fans have always wanted to see, they've cast the person that fans have also always wanted to see. And I think that that's a really nice touch. And that's something that Marvel are generally really good at is kind of giving fans what they want, but also subverting their expectations in a way like that as well. And Jake Gyllenhaal has such a different background of films. Like he's done, you know, things from like Nightcrawler and Nocturnal Animals and these sort of really dark, serious, more adult films. And so for him to go from something like that into the Marvel Cinematic Universe is something so completely different from him. But but the experience, I guess, that he's had in these other films to bring that to a a villain slash ally character in Mysterio maybe lends it some, I don't know, credibility, some sort of like darkness that he can bring into this sort of like the peppy character of Spider-Man that he's mm. usually so like upbeat and, and quippy and things like that. So there's this sort of like dichotomy in, in the characterizations. This is Mr. Beck. Mysterio? You can call me Quentin. But you handled yourself well out there today. Saw what you did with the tower. I could use someone like you on my world. I'm sorry, your world? Uh, Mr. Beck is from Earth, just not ours. There are multiple realities, Peter. This is Earth, dimension 616. I'm from Earth 833. We share identical physical constants, level four symmetry. I'm sorry, you're saying there's a multiverse? Because I thought that was just theoretical. I mean, that completely changes how we understand the initial singularity. Because it's insane. Sorry. You know, you know what's interesting, Vara? You were saying before that because Spider-Man is like intertwined with the Marvel world, the larger Marvel world now, it kind of makes mm. it more interesting and kind of breathes new life into it. Uh, back in the late 90s when the first Spider-Man was being developed, Marvel was so broke that they actually offered, they said, Sony, you've got Spider-Man, but you can have all of our characters, every single one of our characters for $20 million if you yeah. want them right now. And Sony were quoted as saying... No one cares about any of the other characters. All they care about is Spider-Man. And they mm. miss the opportunity to have the entirety, million. <laughs> the entirety of all Marvel characters. And it's so mm. interesting that now that it is going so well is because they've included that larger world. Mm. But yeah. aren't Sony clinging with their grip paws onto Spider-Man? Is that... Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a weird uh, deal that they struck. Well, it's not weird, but it's, uh, I guess, unusual in Hollywood which is that Sony still owns Spider-Man. So this is a Sony movie, not a Disney movie, because mm -hmm. Disney owns Marvel. Uh, but other characters can appear in Spider-Man. Spider-Man can appear in other films. But it's this weird thing where like, there's two studios releasing films with the same character, which has never happened before. No. 
Yeah, we were talking about that back when Into the Spider-Verse came out as well. And they do bring some of that influence into this film because in Into the Spider-Verse and even films like Thor The Dark World talk about these multiverses. So that was what Into the Spider-Verse was all about, all these different dimensional Spider-Men. And this Spider-Man Far From Home really taps into that. So because this is after Thanos's snap, apparently they're saying that it tears a hole in our dimension. So that's where Mysterio's character comes from, a different Earth, because apparently we're Earth 616 in the comics and there's all these other different Earths. And Mysterio is from this different Earth. So they're sort of combining these different worlds of Spider-Man as well, even if it's not the same franchise or the same sort of film series. They're bringing all these elements in. So there's one thing that I think is really pitch perfect in all of these uh, Spider-Man movies, and it's Tom Holland. I think, I know a lot of people have nostalgia for Tobey Maguire and people even like Andrew Garfield, but never have I seen someone that so perfectly does both sides of Spider-Man. Like I would say for, for my opinion at least is that Tobey Maguire was a really great Peter Parker. Andrew Garfield was a really great Spider-Man, but Tom Holland is the only one I've seen that so perfectly seems like an awkward teen mm. out of the costume and seems like a quippy, annoying teen yes. in the costume. Uh, and mm. I think that he... I'm so glad that he is now like the Spider-Man and I think he's now the longest running, not longest running, but has the most films of Spider-Man. So I I think that the fact that they've got him so perfectly cast really adds a lot to this. And I think that even though he's world famous, I think he's underrated at how good he is at being Spider-Man. When Fury asked me to come up here and see how you were doing, he just, he felt bad about snapping at you. Really? You guys do have sarcasm on this earth, right? (laughs) How you feeling? I didn't think I was going to have to save the world this summer. I know that makes me sound like such a jerk. I just... I had this plan with this girl that I really like, and now it's all ruined. I like you, Peter. You're a good kid. There's a part of me that wants me to tell you just turn around, run away from all this, and then there's another part of me that knows what we're about to fight. What's at stake? I'm glad you're here. Me too. But you're worried about your friends. Yeah. Just always feel like I'm putting them in danger. Look, just get them inside and keep them in a safe place for just a few hours and they'll be all right. It's really nice to have somebody to talk to about superhero stuff, you know? Anytime. So, I mean, obviously, I'm a bit of a Marvel fanboy, so I'm their day one anyway. But who do you think should see this film? I think this is for, obviously, Tom Holland fans. Uh, I think many girls will be going to see this film (laughs) just for him. Um, (laughs) And, obviously, everyone who's seen Endgame will definitely want to be seeing this film, which is, you know, know, 99% of the population. (laughs) So, (laughs) you want to continue the story past this, you know, climactic end and this is certainly going to be the port one yeah it felt like a bit of a shock ending for endgame and so to have this come out so quickly after endgame to satiate any of your missed feelings your feelings about missing the marvel cinematic universe are going to be um relieved with this movie (laughs) 
also still in cinemas yesterday. A struggling musician hits his head and wakes up in a world without the Beatles and he has to bring the music back. And the spooky Annabelle comes home. A demonic vessel doll comes to life in the Warrens' home. Yes, you can hear about both of those movies and in fact everything that's playing in cinemas right now in our back catalogue, which you can access through whichever podcast app you'd like. Call and text every day. Mom, it's college. It's not a survival course. It'll be fine. Truth or dare? Okay, truth. Are you a virgin? I'll do dare. I dare you to make out with her. I'm done playing this game. 2014 saw the release of Anna Todd's Breakout After series. First finding its home on the fan fiction websites, then to paperback, managing to publish three in the series in a single year. And now it's making the leap to the big screen. That seems like the little story that could. So, Dan, was the hype worth it? Uh, if you're a fan of this genre, if you're a fan of one Direction, I'll explain, <laughs> I'll explain later, uh, then I would say the hype is definitely worth it. For myself, I'm not a romance novelist, <laughs> I don't read these books, but this was actually the first film I saw for the podcast, The Cinema Crew, and I was going in open-minded, so I looked at it from a purely uh, analytical standpoint. So this is a film about growing up that focuses on Tessa, a young girl who's graduated high school and she's navigating her way through college and whilst trying to uphold her values from home, she is seduced by the bad boy, Harden. Uh, visually, this film does everything you would expect it to. You've got uh, two main characters that are gorgeous, even though they're playing, you know, next door, like the boy or girl next door. Yeah, these, um, these supermodels playing regular <laughs> people. <Yeah. laughs> that tends to happen a bit too often for my liking. But... um. No, like I think if you're a fan of the books, you will definitely enjoy this. And what I meant before when I said One Direction, it's actually based off a fan fiction that was, what if One Direction were these bad boys with all these tattoos and uh, you had the opportunity to fall in love with, I think they Harry Styles. Harry Styles, yeah. So <laughs> Can I say... I, it's gonna be, it's gonna be difficult talking about this movie because we're obviously not the demographic. And no. what I've discovered oh, yeah, is no. um, this has a, such a rabid fan base. Indeed. Um, like if if you touch, I had no idea. <laughs> no, I I'd never heard of the books either. But if if you look it up, look at any comments, and there are so many people excited for this mm. movie. But millions. Ha Harden has to be one of the worst character names I've heard in a long time. I just couldn't think of. <laughs> You know, right? It, like it's it, it sounds vaguely rude, <laughs> but also it sounds like the name that a teenager would make up to be cool. Oh, that's Harden, man. <laughs> oh, he's such a brooding boy. Um, it's look. Yeah. Th this film is is for a particular audience, which I think it's fair to say none of us fall into. No, um, mm. it's for One Direction fans essentially, mm -hmm. because uh, I didn't know that this was based on One Direction fanfic. When I was watching it, neither, and the character of Harden um, was kind of inexplicable to me <laughs> because I was like, "Why does he have that odd accent, and why does he act these ways?" And only realizing that it's supposed to be Harry Styles, I was like, "Oh, does it make sense?" That makes more sense now. That's that's why this Englishman is at this American college. <laughs> yes, Jane Austen's masterpiece. Who in here has already read *Pride and Prejudice*? 
And what did you think of it on the first read? Let's hear from our newcomer, Mr. Scott. Pride and Prejudice. Elizabeth Bennett needs to chill. <laughs> she gave Darcy a way worse time than he deserved. Are you saying that Darcy was not in love with Elizabeth? Love is just a transaction. We're all hardwired to desire. We present the correct set of desirable traits, and boom. We can turn it on, and we can turn it off. But, like, it feels like a bit of rebel without a cause as well. Yes. He's got, like, the leather jacket and white shirt yeah. and nice hair. So it all makes sense. Like, all of these characters, he said, are just absolutely gorgeous. Like, they've got people who are actual social influences. Mm. The guy who plays Harden, Hero, is the nephew of Ralph Fiennes. Oh. Like, they've gotten people who are attractive and known within the sort of younger zeitgeist, I suppose, mm. that are going to attract audiences to watch this for those people. And I think this is going to be one of those movies that maybe in, like, uh, in for the next few years like young teenage girls will be quoting after, which it kind of, it makes me conflicted because I think the movie is kind of problematic and I mm. say kind of problematic because uh, I'm, I'm aware that it was written by a female, mm -hmm. but it also doesn't write good female characters. No. Um, to, it, it's a kind of a trope that I, I guess I wish didn't exist, which is that uh, a young female's problems will be solved, solved. By, by this dashing, handsome man. Uh, and it does fall yeah. into that trope, just like I would say 90% of these uh, teenage romance movies do. Look, what I really appreciated was that all of the... Um the sexual encounters that the characters have throughout this, and there is a lot of making out. <laughs> Nothing gets too rude, um, but it's like Fifty Shades for teenagers, I guess. That was the comparison I thought. It was like raunchy, but PG raunchy. All of those scenes were very consensual. The male character, Harden, was always asking if um, Tessa was okay, if she was wanting to do this. Everything was very slow and nice and and they always, like, communicated properly. So even though I was cringing in my seat, <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's being nice about it. Look, they're communicating and being consensual. Well, that's true. So that's good. And, and it's, it's interesting that you bring up the comparison of Fifty Shades because there are comparisons to be made. And you're right, it's nowhere near mm. as explicit as that movie mm. is because that movie is targeting, you know, a different demographic which seemed to be... The next generation of yes, fans it of it seemed to be it seemed to be <laughs> mums. <laughs> that, mums. That was the mothers uh, of targeting. Yeah. Uh, but that mm. also started its life as fan fiction of Twilight and then was adapted yes. into the book into a movie. So it's got a it's got a really similar trajectory that Fifty Shades mm -hmm. had. And it is a, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that analogy that it is the Fifty Shades of this younger generation, slightly more uh, immature, like um, romantically or sexually, whatever it might be. And it kind of caters that way. It's it's never too explicit. No, uh, it does fall into cliche a lot because I think that's maybe the easiest way to communicate some of these, like you know, like, like the uh, the high school bullies, for example. Mm. Uh, are like they're the most thinly written bullies, but they serve the point, which is to. To, to say to people, you know, like this does happen in college in America, this does happen in high school in Australia, and these are the kind of people you might broad strokes meet. But I don't know whether it necessarily does anything with all of that. Like, I don't know if it has any purpose beyond just trying to cash in on this like One Direction hype. So good, Welcome so to my good. favorite place. We can 
thought that you just wanted to be friends. I don't think we can ever be just friends. So as much as this film isn't directed towards any of us as audience, uh, I do actually appreciate that uh, the journey that this film had gone on and, and the author and the director, they actually sold the rights to the film to Paramount, but the author wanted more freedom in adapting the film. So the rights were given back, which I don't even know how you would do get the rights <laughs> back from Paramount. Yeah. And they went to Averon, which is a, a smaller independent company. And so they had more freedom to do what they wanted with the film and to adapt it. And this is a, counted as a more independent, it's an indie film, even though it doesn't feel like it. It did so well overseas that they've already pitched the sequel, which is called After We Collided. <laughs> well, aren't there five um, books in the series for this film franchise are, to work yeah. off? Oh, fans and they will went be to so Cannes happy. With it. Wait, they went to Cannes <laughs> yeah. Film Festival with this film? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they um they pitched the sequel and it's already sort of in talks about being made because this one did so oh, well. wow. Now, your chance to win a gold class, a double pass, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, find the Cinema Crew post and answer the question, Who is your favourite Spider-Man actor and why? I think maybe I gave away mine earlier in the me, episode, me. but me. You, know, you, don't have to dis- <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. That's the, that's the beauty of the internet comment section. Simply leave your comment with the hashtag TheCinemaCrew for your chance to win. Next week, how far will an Uber driver go to get five stars in Stuba? A female spin on the super bad formula in Booksmart. And there are alligators in the house in Crawl. But until then, thank you, Vari. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. My name is Cambo, and this has been The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. <laughs> <laughs>